free movie podcast. <laughs> this week, <laughs> Black Cat, like Black Swan. Black <laughs> uh, That was uh, Christian Mazansky, I think. Christian Mazansky with us. Uh, hello, Christian Mazansky. Actually, it's Andrew. Uh, And also Kelly Wand. Kelly Wand, give us a black swan-related tagline. The darker the swan, the sweeter the juice. (laughs) All right, enough of that. Uh, Think it's about a synopsis. What is not a synopsis, but what is black swan for people who don't know anything about it? What is black swan already? Yeah, I guess. What is it? Can I not respond to Kelly's tagline? I. Uh, <laughs> Go for it. What do you got to say to that? I want him to let me know if it's juicy enough. Mm. Oh. Wait and see. Easter eggs. Swans lay Easter eggs. Spoiler alert. Okay, well, this week we saw Black Swan, and Black Swan is a drama thriller movie directed by <laughs> Darren Aronofsky. Hold on one second. I've been on NPR. They run commercials for this, and they characterize it as a psychosexual thriller. Uh, hold on, let me. Like a uh, bed of evidence, body of evidence. Hold on, <laughs> evidence. I'm just. I'm gonna write something. Else. <laughs> okay, right, it is a. Um, well, well, there's nothing going we saw, on. We saw Black Swan, a psychosexual drama movie, thriller movie, directed by Darren Aronofsky, about a ballerina fighting her demons as she takes on the role of the Swan Queen in the ballet Swan Lake. It is rated R for strong sexual content, disturbing violent images, language, and some drug use. Hmm. You've never rolled? I, I hate that he explains the rating. That's my least favorite part. <laughs> well, that's for you, people. I it's, only it's, do I it for you. Hey, Kelly, on some ah. people might be listening wondering, should they take their pre-adolescent daughters? For instance, you know, is yes. like is this like Tangled? Should we should you take your daughter to see Tangled or Black Swan? You know, Tangled's that's for perverts. <laughs> they should take their kids to see this movie about a girl who learns how to dance, which is interesting, educational, and it's based on a fairy tale, which also makes it op, uh, optimal children's fair. Well, Kelly, why don't you uh, break it down a little bit more for us? Give us a uh, Black Swanopsis. Oh, <laughs> did you have a better? Uh, I had that. Gonna do? Okay. That's good. I don't have to say that. Uh, finally, a movie that taps into my two biggest fears, ballet and Mila Kunis. <laughs> that was a runner-up catchphrase that wasn't as good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we noticed. Okay. Uh, so it's like White Knights, but with gay chicks instead of gay men and a slightly different color by way of that movie where Judy Dench was evil and annoyed Kate Blanchett. I forget the name of it, though. Denched? Or something. Notes for a scandal. Oh, all right. I was going to say the key of the note, but that wouldn't have made any sense. All right. So Luke Skywalker's mom is this crazy ballet dancer who lives with her crazy mom, Barbara Hershey, who wants her to be the perfect ballerina. So she keeps giving her 10,000 calories of garbage cake. And, uh... She goes to this fancy pants ballet place, which is supposed to be the best place to get uh, sexually harassed by your instructor and then thrown in front of a moving car during one of your uh, self-destructive jealous rants off screen about how he's leaving you for Natalie Portman. 
And the instructor thinks Natalie Portman's good as the white swan, but not quite Mila Kunis enough to be the black swan until she bites him, because only the black swans have teeth. <laughs> Remember, like in Legion, Tom? <laughs> uh so her lack of self-control and her deteriorating mental state and propensity for panic all win her the pivotal high-pressure role of the Swan Queen. And Mila Kunis shows up to replace someone named Rebecca, and she's the perfect black swan, even though she can't dance because she whores it up and takes ecstasy. Or as her teacher puts it, she's not faking it. Uh, and instead of just casting both of them side by side, like they did with uh, the daughter on Roseanne and Aronofsky did in this movie, he tries to teach Natalie Portman how to French kiss like a swan. And then Elizabeth Berkley goes to see Gina Gershon in the hospital, but she leaves when she starts stabbing herself in the face, except it was really her stabbing her. And the knife in the elevator is covered in Peter Weller's blood, trickles into Quinn's shoe, while Dexter's hiding in the van. So to get into character, she goes to this uh, banging-ass rave with Mila Kunis, and Mila Kunis warns her that he's going to start calling her princess. And Natalie Portman goes, yeah, I had that problem with George Lucas. <laughs> so to uh, celebrate... Uh, that was iffy, I thought. Whenever. No, that was um, that was beautiful, Kelly Wand. That was more for all right. It's <laughs> kind of spicing it up. Uh, celebrate. She decides to go to the bathroom, but when she comes back, she luckily sees Mila Kunis spike her drink, which makes her want to drink it. And they party with a couple of losers who don't even know what ballet is. <laughs> and uh, they go back to her place to have. Uh, hot lesbian sex in her bedroom uh, while she transforms into a bird, but it turns out she hallucinated the Mila Kunis part. And uh, she breaks her mom's fingers in the door so she can masturbate in peace, but her mom hides the job under the chair, so she breaks her fingers some more so she can go to the show, which her mom has a ticket to and is dressed up for like a few minutes later. And the show's going crummy at first because a guy drops her while she's laying a swan egg, but then... Luckily, during the intermission, she kills Mila Kunis with a mirror shard. Only it's really herself, and she's bleeding from a stomach wound, like Robert Redford in that other movie about dance, Milagro Beanfield. But it only makes her dance better, and none of her dance mates notice, because all the black feathers sprouting from her skin are obscuring the blood. So the show's a hit, but she dies from the same white screen that killed Mickey Rourke and they uh, prop up her corpse to take a bow. The end. Good good work catching the whiteout at the end, Kelly Wanda. Oh, nicely done. <clears throat> All right. Uh, that was mostly correct. There, there weren't many things in there I would take issue with. It's good. Uh, yeah, so what uh, What did you think of it, Kelly Wand? Um, well, I'm a real sucker for when actors go through a lot of hardcore physical shit for a role, like when Christian Bale lost weight for The Machinist. But I couldn't think of anything more punishing than having to learn something. Like, having to go through that kind of, that much hell physically, but then you have to learn, like, something like that's worth decades of 
excruciating physical discipline and precision in under a year. So I was kind of distracted by that. Mm-hmm. Like the weaknesses of the machinist were, I was distracted from that by, you know, the work that had gone into Christian Bale's hardcore diet. <laughs> but it's good. I mean, you guys hated it, didn't you? I can hear, I can hear your heavy silences. Did you hate it, Dingus? Uh, no. Oh, okay. It didn't, sound, it, it didn't sound very convincing, Dingus. You're going to have to sell me on that. No! <laughs> uh, I didn't hate it. I, I, I would put it up there with Shutter Island in that it reminded me a bit of a really, really good director kind of stooping to... Stooping. I, I, I don't mean for that to sound so judgmental. Uh, it sounded like a really good director just doing more of a straight-up genre thing. There's a lot of continuity with The Wrestler. But ultimately, I, I think uh, uh, Black Swan fits in this, this genre that I would call uh, chick horror. And horror movies about like women's issues, and, and that doesn't that I don't mean that to denigrate them. Uh, there's some great chick horror movies like like Inside, a movie about pregnancy. Uh, Carrie, of course, is, is a classic. Uh, Ginger Consent. Snaps. Ginger Snaps, a werewolf movie about uh, about of puberty, uh, Jennifer's Body, which isn't that great, but it's still chick horror. High tension, you know, about about female sexuality. Uh, I think Pan's Labyrinth might even qualify. Uh, there's a great Michael Haneke movie called The Piano Teacher. Uh, so Black Swan is just I, I thought one of these kind of like genre horror films that Aronofsky had, had done, uh, and I was disappointed in some things about it, but but most of all I I, I liked it as as a good well done horror film. Did you guys see The Tenant, that Roman Polanski <clears throat> movie? I did not, no. Oh, okay. Because you said... Is that's that, sort of that like chick horrors? Oh, Rosemary's Baby, though, by the way. I think of Polanski. Wait, that's Polanski, isn't it? Yeah. I think yeah, of it is. Chick horror, that's a horror movie about pregnancy. Uh, so, so I would put that in there as well. So it wasn't chick horror, but it was, like, it was identity crisis horror. So it was like a chick horror. Are you talking about Rosemary's Baby? No, The Tenant. Oh, oh, I see. Rosemary's Baby was straight chick horror. Right, right. But there's no, like, Dingus was talking about the feminine energy of the hikers in 127 hours, like the only, and then here we have, like, only one dude in this whole movie, and he's like a Euro. How dare you, that was I'm the one that brought that up. Yeah, that was Tom. Oh, right. just give, uh, I just sorry. Give I did that twice today, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, so he's, on that level, like, he's doing to you what she's doing to Dingus is by Mila Kunis. right. Uh, so, so on that level, it worked for me, and I did like it. Uh, so I, I have some serious reservations that I want to talk about about it. But uh, first, uh, Dingus, now you weigh in. Your turn. Uh, my my opinion is pretty close to yours. I um, there there are so many things I, I really loved about it, and a lot of those are the elements uh, that feel like a bookend to the wrestler. Um, but the the thriller elements seem largely boilerplate to me, mm-hmm. uh, and and they're fine. Like the the stuff in the bathtub. I mean, when she's underwater, and and the, those types of things are standard thriller things that happen, and and they're effective. It just doesn't feel like anything new or particularly surprising. But uh, but the things I liked about it outweighed those. So I, I think you're right. I like that it becomes a horror movie, but uh, but. Largely, I agree with you. I, I didn't feel like it transcended. 
and and that that actually is one of there's a lot of continuity with the wrestler, and in a way I think that's one bit of continuity with the wrestler. The wrestler, if it weren't for Mickey Rourke's performance, the wrestler would be a, a fairly standard midlife crisis movie about an entertainer. Uh, you know all that that hallmark like stuff with his reconciling with his daughter, like a lot of that stuff mm. is really kind of soggy. I think we. Yeah. I haven't seen The Wrestler in a while, but there's a lot of mediocrity in The Wrestler that, that, that Mickey Rourke's performance lifts it above. And I, I see some of that with Black Swan and Natalie Portman. She's fine, but there's not enough of like a performance there to really elevate it. Uh, but there's stuff, the other thing that, that helps The Wrestler is you get a lot of details about the wrestling life, like a day in this guy's life, that are really naturalistic and interesting, which Aronofsky's good at. And you get some of that at the beginning of this in Black Swan, like what it's like to be, to have nothing in your life except this one very painful activity every day. And it's all you revolve around, which is interesting to me. Yeah, yeah. I, I, the, you know, the, the scene where she's breaking in the shoes. I loved that. You know, I right. loved that yeah. kind of naturalistic detail. And it was a lot like you know, watching Mickey Rourke shave his chest. You know, that's to those of us who don't know that world. That's interesting. Uh, yeah. Becoming a swan hurts, Tom. That's what the moral <laughs> is. Do swans have red eyes? By the way, what the hell's that? See, that's like oh, it was, it was horror movie stuff. And I, I was, was the, I was, I was the mom movie. real, and were we real? And was David Cronenberg real? <laughs> Boy, David Cronenberg, so real. <laughs> was he listed a special thanks at the end? He should have been. <laughs> no, I just wanted to smoke weed with him and watch him watch Black Swan more than I wanted to watch Black Swan. But I definitely liked it more than you guys. You don't know that. You guys sound... No. Okay. What? I thought we've already said. <laughs> even very measured, your praise. Uh, it's... Uh, it, it's got, I mean, the, so here's one of the, the problems that, you know, we, we talk about, you know, Mickey Rourke's performance really elevating the wrestler. And, and there was really no room for that kind of thing here because this movie was so much, uh, technique. This was, this was clearly a director's movie. You know, for the wrestler, Aronofsky got out of the way. He's a completely different director of photography than he normally use, uses. Uh, Matthew Libatique, who came back for, for the wrestler. But, but the wrestler, uh, who, I'm sorry, who came back for Black Swan. But Black Swan was very much, a, you know, the director, I felt like, was like front and center. Like a lot of stuff with, with technique, with the way it was shot, um, with uh, the, the sort of the overbearing use of all the ballet and the music at, at the end, uh, with the, the sort of funhouse horror tricks. Um, so this... Uh, you know, th this was just much more Aronofsky playing around with uh, cinema, I thought, than something like The Wrestler, where he just lets Mickey Rourke carry it. Uh, but Mickey Rourke is bringing so much mileage to that to that portrayal, and that can't happen here. Right. I mean, Mickey Mickey Rourke is bringing his own baggage, and that really, really works for The Wrestler. Um, and And you feel that, and he just sort of lays it all out for you there. And this is a, a beautiful performance, I think, by Natalie Portman, but it is, there's a lot more of the actor working than there is just the actor being. You mean in, in, in what, in this? In, in, Black, in Swan? Black Swan. Right. 
Right. And she does a she does a great job. I, I love Natalie Portman, but she's she's working a lot harder. And it's and, and one of the things I like about that, though, uh, which is odd, is the this sort of film within a or film within a film thing that's going on, or story within a story thing that's going on, that we're watching Swan Lake while he's making Swan Lake. And I, I like that aspect of it, that she's she's having to do what her character is, is being accused of doing. Um, I like that, but it doesn't it doesn't make for as gratifying a performance as Mickey Rourke does. Well, here here's an example, Dingus, of uh, one of the things I thought of, where rather than Aronofsky just really trusting Natalie Portman's performance, uh, him wanting to get in and do technique stuff, uh, there's a, there's a great moment where she's out with Mila Kunis and she goes ahead and she does. So was that ecstasy, by the way? And so yeah. it's got to be. You can't like you don't put cocaine in a drink like that. I guess that would blow it. Uh, so yeah. So so she she goes ahead and she she takes the ecstasy in the drink. Uh, and then we have that scene of the, you know her at the nightclub really cutting loose and making out with the dude. And then it it cuts to where she's with a whole other dude in the bathroom. And then she goes back to the, the house. And uh, it, it's a bunch of like whirlwind nightclub crazy stuff. Now I, I'm thinking of another movie. I know you haven't seen Kelly Wand, but Dingus, you have seen where a character does ecstasy, and the director trusts the actor's performance to represent what's going on there. And that's in Boy Ed with with Andrew Garfield, where you just see him dancing. It's just one shot of of Andrew Garfield dancing, and it's amazingly physical performance, but it's so actor-driven. Now, I don't mean to say one is necessarily better than the other, just that I felt that rather than leaving it to Natalie Portman to carry this significant moment, it became a, a matter of like how Darren Aronofsky shot it, uh, and that's fine. Uh, but I, I think, you know, this movie is ultimately about Natalie Portman, about her character, about what she's going through, what happens to her. Uh, and I think a more astute movie, and maybe I'm asking for something the movie wasn't offering, but a more astute movie about that would trust the actor's performance more and and not get the actual movie making in the way as much. Well, you know, it's difficult. You, by, and by the way, Dingus, I, as I'm saying this, I realize you had a very similar complaint, I think, about 127 hours, which I recall poo-pooing, so I feel bad now. Uh, well, the, uh, yeah, I, I, I hear what you're saying there, and I, I'm not quite sure what to do with that. Um, <laughs> but I, I think that one of the difficulties and one of the things that interests me about what you just said, Tom, is that... Um, is that it's hard for me to, to divorce what's happening to her from the performance because because part of the part of the theme of this character as far as I can see is is uh, is life or things happening to her um, and then her changing that so that she makes things happen like when she gets the part she says uh, he gave it to me mommy instead of saying I got the part so so that mm. that that thing in the club is very much about what happens to her and she's allowing things to happen to her mm-hmm. and sort of divorcing those two things um, is, is a little bit difficult for me. And, and, and part of what is, is wonderful and difficult about watching this movie is, is, is sort of discerning what, 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 I, what I don't like the filmmaker doing and what I didn't understand about what was going on thematically. What what did you not understand? What what do you mean by what was not not understanding what was going on thematically? Uh, by that I mean I don't know Swan Lake, and it oh, wasn't oh. until because I don't go into a movie knowing almost anything about it. 
and I don't know the ballet Swan Lake, it wasn't until well afterward that I had to start confronting the idea that, okay, what I watched was a director doing a um, his version of Swan Lake while showing uh, a horror movie about a company doing Swan Lake. Mm-hmm. And so coming around to what you were just talking about, about the director not necessarily trusting his actor to show him something, uh, is the idea of this this character, the this character who is playing the white swan, uh, having to go from somebody who lets things happen to her and who wants perfection and who is apologizing for, for things to being an active character. And the director showing us those two things through his filmmaking. So not, I'm not trying to apologize for him, but I'm, not, I'm saying that I don't know that I understand fully if, if this is the filmmaker trying this or if this, this is the filmmaker's failings. Do you get what I'm going at? I think so. I mean, I think it, it was a conscious choice. I mean, this isn't... I, I don't think it was supposed to be an actor-driven movie. Uh, I, I, right. So, yeah. Uh, it, it's a bit like... Uh, well, yeah. Uh, I, I think I might be making a complaint about... Aronofsky's choice rather than his execution. Okay. And, and you know what? Here's, here's part. Let me, let me get at, at what my real problem is. Um, there's a John Cassavetes movie from, yeah, mid-70s, I guess, uh, called Opening Night with Jenna Rowlands. Has either of you seen that? No. Uh, no. Uh, but I like them. So, so yeah, like, if you, so Kelly Wan, if you know John Cassavetes' movies, you know what yeah. they're like. They're, they're long. They're very improvisational. They tend to star Jenna Rowlands, and she tends to yeah. be awesome. Uh, so he puts the camera in a random part of the room, generally, and it's and and just lets it go and and right and there are uh, it, so so opening night is Black Swan done by John Cassavetes, except mm-hmm. instead of about ballet, it's about theater. Uh, the the premise of opening night is that Jenna Rollins is is an actress. Uh, and uh, John Cassavetes actually plays the actor opposite her in the play. Ben Gazzara is the director. Uh, so one night uh, when she's signing autographs, so, you know, she has an adoring fan base. One of the fans, this young girl, gets killed, gets hit by a car uh, and dies. And that happens in the very first part of the movie. So the rest of the movie is about Jenna Rollins being haunted uh, by this this girl's either ghost or her imagination and she starts to unravel and that starts to, to, to impact the play. And she basically goes crazy. Uh, and it's like I said, it's black Swan, but it's about theater and it's John Cassavetes style. So opening night is so completely driven. It's that same arc, you know, uh, the entertainer losing herself in that line between the story and real life. Uh, and it's so completely driven by Jenna Rowland's performance. Um, you know, the, since it's John Cassavetes, there's no Aronofsky uh, shenanigans. Uh, so, whereas I, w- I, w- I kept being reminded of opening night, Aronofsky was in another version of Pi. Uh, hmm. Wait, wait, say that again? Well, this is very much like Pi, his first movie. That, oh. The first movie he did about the guy who goes crazy because of math. You know, this is about a girl who goes crazy because of ballet. Uh, and 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 Pi is is Aronofsky doing a lot of style, a lot of flashy, cool stuff. Um, you know, it's not actor centric so much. Um, so I just kept being reminded of Opening Night, and this is you know in terms of the style, 
the theme is very similar to Opening Night in terms of the style. This is nothing like Opening Night. Uh, so we all thought it reminded us of a different movie. What did neither what? the other two of us? I thought it reminded me of The Tenant. And oh, okay. You, and Dingus, I forget. Well, kind of. Kind of, right. <laughs> uh, uh, so, Kelly Wand, how does it uh, tell us a bit about The Tenant? What, what, what does this have in common with The Tenant? Uh, it's Roman Polanski as Roman Polanski, directed by Roman Polanski, and he moves into. See, he's male, but. He's being, he inherits this room from a uh, someone who, this woman who jumped off, and then he goes to visit her in the hospital. She's covered up in bandages, and then the whole movie is about how all the neighbors turn him into her. So he's becoming a woman. <laughs> wow, it's but it's good. I'm making it sound way dumber than it is. Is my looking up? Uh, she's fine in this. I was, I felt affectionate towards her. You, you felt bad that. for having reservations that she was going to be in it, didn't you? Yeah, and that's, oh, that's what I was going to say. There's a guy, okay, let me get this done so we don't have to think about it anymore. There's this dude, Nassim Nicholas Taleb. Uh, he's a financial economics math dude who came up with something called the Black Swan Theory that refers to unexpected events of large magnitude and consequence in their dominant role in history. So like every major scientific discovery, every historical event, every artistic accomplishment is a black swan. Like it was against the odds. It shouldn't exist, but it is. Aronofsky is the black swan of film directors because he's the director who can go, oh, you think Mila Kunis sucks? Or Wayans? Oh, you don't think they can be in a serious movie? I'm going to take Wayans. I'm going to put him in. I'm going to take a Wayans brother, and I'm going to put him in one of the greatest movies ever made. <laughs> and I'm going to put Jennifer Connelly in it nude, and it's not going to be erotic at all. Totally <laughs> make you associate that image with horror. Oh yeah. So there. Well what was I saying? <laughs> anyway, so I was looking stuff uh, up about the opera afterwards, so I could find like, you know, uh, light motifs and stuff, and feel a little less dumb about talking about the movie. And apparently in the opera, the prince, there's like a prince who dies with her, and they go to heaven together. At the end. But there's no prince in Black Swan the movie, unless he's the black prince, or he's the good prince, but he's also the evil sorcerer, too, so he's like the one, and then she's the prince, Mila Kunis. Well, too much in. There's a prince, there's uh, the dude who said he wouldn't fuck her, or who didn't say that he wouldn't fuck her. Wasn't that guy the prince? The, the, the dancer, the guy at the bar? No, no. no. David, the other dancer. The, David, the guy, yeah. the, the lead dancer in the piece. <laughs> the guy who drops her? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's mm-hmm. the prince. He's the prince. All right. I love the part when the uh, the guy in the, his black swan outfit walks by her backstage and he's like, hey, sup? That was my favorite. I love when he just goes by and says, hey. Yeah. <laughs> also, when he drops her, he, his exact line is, what the fuck? Yeah. Like, like she was somehow, like it was somehow her fault that she's in the air. Was that part of her hallucination? And was the mom real? Tell me, Tom, you're the smart one. No offense to us. <laughs> what do you mean? Was the mom real? Like, Tom's well, here's my the thing. Go-to guy on what's real in a movie. Yeah. Here's here's the problem. Uh, and I say problem. It's not really a problem. Uh, here's why I can't answer that question. She is such an unreliable narrator. Right. Yeah. Uh, that by the time the movie is over, I don't think it matters, <laughs> you know, whether or not she's actually stabbed herself, whether or not Barbara Hershey is in the audience. Uh, I, I don't think the movie cares about the actual reality at the base of whatever's going on here. Hmm. 
That's annoying, then. There should no, be multiple ways. Because the fountain, the fountain, there was like, there were different ways, but they're all equally valid. No, well, right. Cool well, about the fountain. But in this, you're like, saying it doesn't matter, and you're right. It's like, it, it's irrelevant. There was no splice moment. It could all have been a dream. What's a splice moment? You know, oh, you mean, oh, oh, not the movie. You're talking about, like, where you splice from, uh, well, I don't know, what, what's a splice moment? <laughs> It's the moment in Vanilla Sky, I thought your favorite Cameron Crowe movie, both of you, <laughs> where uh, his real life ends, his real memories end, and then the uh, cryogenic dream starts. Okay, right, right. And so it's either like after the first blip, it's the eye opening. No, it's uh, it's Bill Pullman showing up to get Casey Affleck out of the institution. That moment is what you're talking about. Now, I'd Which say, movie? right. In, in Killer Inside Me, I had this whole thing where at the end it's 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 his hallucination. Bill Pullman's in it. Let's let's not talk about the <laughs> end of other movies. Well, I'm just saying um, where, where you trace a point where it splits off into you know this is where the fantasy takes over, like like uh, in um, Brazil, uh, Pan's Labyrinth, exactly that kind of thing. You know where does the hallucination begin or end? And yeah, I don't think there's anything like that here. I think the whole thing is is uh, sort of shuffled together. Like a I ballet. Think there, I think there is a moment for that, like that, for me, um, where where I where I really saw that. Okay, she's an unreliable narrator. I'm not going to really be able to tell what's real and what's not. Is 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 my lacunas real or not? Is the mom real or not? And that's when when she's in the bathroom during the fundraiser and she peels the skin off of her finger. Yeah. Ah, don't mention that part. Yeah, ah. she, she doesn't snap her arm off. She just peels some skin off her finger. <laughs> and um, and when she does that, and and that's when I realize, okay, I'm not going to be able to rely on her. And I'm and there's so much there's so much of this doppelganger mirror imagery that I'm not going to really be able to trust anything I see. And that's part of the point. Right. And so I was okay with that going forward. Well, right, right. So whether, there's no, there's, not, there's no, there are still things after that little finger peeling scene that actually happened, though. It's not like the movie. I think when Kelly's talking about a splice moment, uh, everything after that's fake. Yeah, hallucination. Uh, and I don't. And this, in, in what you're saying, Dingus, I, I agree with, is that we, you know, we learn early on that we can't trust her. But there are obviously, I think, bits of reality. The movie never does. Like Brazil, I oh, think, okay. is a perfect example. There's, there's that one. Well, but I was, I was. Tossing it back to you, Kelly Wand. Yeah, oh. your Brazil example. I think. How dare you toss it back to me? <laughs> but I think Dingus was saying that was his splice moment. Like, the movie for him ended, the reality, when she took her skin off. That was the last real thing that happened. And then Are you saying that, Dingus? No, I'm just, I'm just saying that from that point on, I, I was on notice. Right. That, uh, that I, I couldn't know if, if, um, if when Mila Kunis was in a scene, was she really there? Because, you know, she might enter a scene, like the... the uh, uh, the scene when uh, after the erotic practice scene, when when she enters and and and, um, and Nina says, "Who's that?" and and there were there were a lot of those entrances where it looks like um, it looks like Natalie Portman's face, but it's Mila Kunis's face or or vice versa, and you, and you don't know who's who in the scene, which which we're supposed to believe the the mirror or the image, and which. Which is real, the the actual person or the reflection or the reflection of the reflection, and and from that point on, I realized that I I couldn't trust her her to tell me what was going on, and it, that might not be the point. That I was supposed to sort of go along with this as an exploration of this character and creativity. 
Did Aronofsky cite mirrors as an influence? <laughs> well, I think obviously he was drawing from that Adrian Paul sequence I was telling you guys about. <laughs> we had the infinite Adrian Pauls, and then somewhere down the line they start messing with them. There, there was that little trick with Natalie Portman uh, scratching her back while she was being fitted for her outfit. Uh, yeah. That's the part they show on the TV ads, too. So they're trying to trick people. Like, oh, it's a, it's a horror movie about mirrors with Natalie Portman in it. Well, I don't think that... Yeah, actually, so that's, I meant to go back and look at the trailer. I haven't seen it. Does this... When you look at the trailer, Kelly Wan, does it, is it being sold as like a horror movie? Yeah, or suspense. And they show her finding a feather and plucking it out. But, you, but you're... When you see it on TV, you go, oh, Mila Kunis drugs her. That's what's going on. She's Judy Dench, but Mila Kunis is the, the Mila Kunister. And then Denchster. How'd you guys feel about uh, Vincent Casale? He was convincing. <laughs> While well, I thought Natalie Portman was kind of winging it. <laughs> oh, Kelly Wand, very nice. JK, JK. <laughs> the only guy. Well, how did you feel about him, Tom? I mean, I I feel like he was good. He's kind of goofy. I mean, he, he yeah. they, they kind of played him like a caricature a bit, uh, I, I think. And that, that's okay, but... Uh, I, I like that. That guy can be tremendous, and he was just kind of a... He was a little clownish here, I thought. Uh, but ballet is full of those archetypes. Is it Kelly Wand? Yeah, don't, you guys don't know about opera? <laughs> it's not... I, I actually know very little about ballet, and I, I did... I don't either. We're talking about, like, like the wrestler showing you an insight into that world. And, Kelly, I know you know a lot about wrestling. You follow it very closely. Oh, yeah, and ballet. Uh, I usually <laughs> double-team, because they're right next door. But well, not knowing anything about ballet, I, I'm sure, I mean, I, I clearly got the sense that there are these megalomaniacal, over-sexualized director-type guys. Like, like, that's the thing, is I, obviously he wasn't gay, um, so, so I was like, is this something that really happens in ballet? You get these, uh, these he guys... He was based on a real ballet instructor who supposedly did that, but he did it to make the performances better, like freaking slapping that dude on the Exorcist set. Like he was ah. one of those, I'll seduce them and it'll make them dance great. Like it was a twofer. <laughs> well, I kind of felt that that w- it was what they were showing here. I mean, I don't think yeah, he ever... That and in a way, it kind of was like, he, it didn't seem like he was actually... That he never sleeps with her. her. Right, right. It seemed like that what he was doing was just to get a better performance out of her. Yeah. It's kind of an interesting choice the script made, I, I thought. I, I kind yeah. of like that. So maybe I guess he wasn't that much of a caricature, but he was just kind of goofy. Like when, when he gets mad and starts cussing in French, I thought that was funny. Actually, I don't even know if he was cussing. He was just like ranting in French when he, when he lapsed, when he re- reverted to French out of anger. I uh, like that. I loved the, the, the tap... Um, casting call that you know the psych of that <laughs> like everybody who i did tap go to your normal uh, yeah souls everybody else stay with me uh well that's really that's very much a chorus line gag i i have not seen um, have i seen chorus line? i don't know i don't watch a lot of those movies dingus it's it's that gag of of i'm gonna have a bunch of you step forward and and all of those people think they're the ones, and then uh, you're not the ones. Right, right. Wow, yeah. That's, that's kind of that gag. I liked him because I, I liked the character because it felt like a like this overbearing captain of a ship who who's trying to crack the whip and, and get what he needs to get and by by any means necessary. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so that so that whole erotic dance sequence where he says this is me seducing you when it should be the other way around kind of thing I, I i got what he was going for when he takes her back to his apartment he doesn't press the issue but he tells her to go touch herself uh, all of those things it, it felt not 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 that his motivations were pure i'm sure he get gets off on his power but this is also how he steers a ship mm-hmm. and I, I like go ahead I, I just like this film as as uh, the thing that I like about this film is that it is sort of the balletic uh, corollary to the wrestler in in mm-hmm. in that it it shows enough it shows how how this is is also a brutal sport it shows her sitting in the hallway in the cinder block backstage area and the this dark I mean, it's, it's just this not glamorous at all area and yeah. I like I like those ideas I I don't feel like they're particularly um, Transcendent, but I, I like the idea of them. I I don't know that it's necessary to make this film after making the wrestler because I think you've already no. made your point. No, no, I like that. One's high art, one's low art, one's real, one's fake. One's a dude, one's a chick. One's two chicks. <laughs> uh, I, one of the things that I uh, was a bit disappointed in, and I don't want to sound like a Kelly Wand here, but both <laughs> these, both the wrestler and Black Swan have this theme of the mortification of the flesh. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, I, okay, I'm just going to say, I'm just going to say this. I'm going to sound like Kelly Wand, but I was really disappointed that there wasn't nudity. Obviously, mm-hmm. they did so much work on, uh, Natalie Portman did so much work on her body, and it was so evident. It was such a part of the performance that I kind of wished that I, I don't know if there was like if she has a nudity clause or something, but I kind of mm. wish she'd been a little bit more frank with that, and not for puritanical, uh, not for prurient reasons. Um, but but maybe she, Kunis was the holdup. Maybe Portman was in, but you needed Kunis. But. Could be, could be. But I just thought it was so much of the performance was about her body, and there were mm-hmm. times where uh, obviously they, she didn't want to do frontal nudity. Uh, and I, you know, whatever. I don't want to. That's it's not my business whether or not an actress wants to do that. But I do just, you know that that was her position, or are you just in? Oh no, I don't know if that was. Well, has uh, Kelly Wand? You might know this. Has Natalie Portman ever done nudity? I'm assuming. I don't think she has. I, and I'm assuming she just. She's know. nude in that short film from the side before Darjeeling Limited, and she looks great. Well, she's she's been very sexy. She's no Anne Hathaway. Anne Hathaway loves it. She's been very sexual, like in closer. You know, I don't think she's actually nude. In right. It. There's a, so I, I just kind of felt like here that obviously so much work was put into her body and her movement. Uh, I just kind of felt like, you know, I wished it had been a. I just would have. Maybe, liked. I'm just speculating. Mm-hmm. I don't know any of this, but maybe Aronofsky was thinking if he showed her nude. I don't know, like, maybe she, maybe he was trying to convey her uptightness by always showing her in clothes, like she was too uptight to be nude. Because she is well, tightly the character. Where, uh, I'm, I'm curious as to where you would have had nudity. Uh, with her mother. Okay. With her mother uh, in the bathroom. In, um, in the masturbation scene? No, because that I kind of liked that she was, like, under the covers and gradually mm-hmm. emerged from them, and that she rolled over and was the pillow. I mean, that... that not, I, again, it's really not for the sexuality of it. It's more right. for the, the body craft of it. Uh, you know, Mickey Rourke's body is an amazing part of his performance in The Wrestler. And I'm not a He's not nude, though. I don't. Uh, he's not nude, but his body is so in evidence. 
Kill May is nude. You know, it's different for dudes. That's one thing. Mm. So, but uh, but just the body craft of it. Uh, you know, there were times during the dancing that just you you could just tell how shaped her body was for this performance. Uh, and and certainly it's not. You know, there's nothing modest about her performance either. And in, in the, some of those right. shots, she might as well be nude. Um, so yeah. I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I, I didn't want to. Now I'm the Kelly Wand of the. Uh, no, 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 no. This movie's about <laughs> it's about bodies. It's about bodies hurting. And her no, body looks. It just seems hobbled, and I don't know. It looks so different from the Natalie Portman we all know and love, who's usually very soft. Small and live. Did I say that right? That's not a word I say out loud very often. I'm not sure. Live <laughs> doesn't sound right. Well, certainly I remember her being frail from from singer in Garden State. Um, she's a, she's supposed to be considered for a tough ass marine in the Alien prequel. Ridley Scott. I think that guy's lost his mind. I think he's gone Dennis Miller. <laughs> Mm-hmm. You cast Portman for fragility, right? Uh, she can be tough, can't she? Didn't she? Shoot? When has she been tough? Uh, v for Vendetta. She got tortured. There you go. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't she toughen that? Uh, how about uh, Winona Ryder's performance as Lucas Haas? <laughs> uh there, there was there was a couple there were there were two Winona Ryder scares in this movie. <laughs> um, was that really her in the bed? It looked like uh, Shep Howard or something. That's what like that's where she was playing Lucas Haas. Yeah, she was uh, she was pretty scary looking. So what um, was her accident? She walked out like was it did it happen the way they said or was there we were supposed to think that the teacher was more. Oh, no, no, she I jumped in front of a car. Yeah, yeah. She totally jumped in front of a car. Yeah. I, I do want to say that I, I want to ask you guys what you thought of uh, Mila Kunis, though. I liked her in this. I did, too. I was prepared to be annoyed by Well, you know, I, I have liked Mila Kunis before. Like, even, Dingus, we talked, what was that juice extract movie? Um, she's good extract. in that. She didn't do much. And she didn't have to dance as much in this as I thought she would have. And she apparently underwent hardcore training too, but she didn't do much dancing. She's only in like a couple scenes. Well, Am I, I wrong? I think my problem with Mila Kunis is just that how inappropriate she was for Book of Eli, and and because right. of that, I forget that you know what she's not bad, and for this for this part, she she's very good at, at what she was doing. Uh, and, and my God, she's just got such big eyes. I mean, just she's like a keen painting. Yeah, <laughs> or a bush baby. Uh, Racist. <laughs> but I thought I, she was cast perfectly for this. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. Well, I, one of the things I really liked is, is how it seemed like uh, Natalie Portman, uh, Mila Kunis, Barbara Hershey, and Winona Ryder were all sort of cut from the same cloth. I uh, yeah. got the sense that these were all the same types of people. Uh, They're all playing themselves, the, like different ages of the same actress. Well, exactly. They're all, I think, reflections of, of Natalie Portman's psyche in a way. Uh, or they're, they're mirrors to herself in a, in a way. If you want to use some of the, the movie's mirror imagery, they're different places that she could end up in her life or could have ended up. And I wonder how much of that is so that he can mess around with the, uh, 
whose face is it we're seeing in those little glimpses. Right. Because there's a, there's a lot of little moments where whose face is that? And, and that's fine. But, um, but I like that it works for Mila Kunis because I think she's, she's great in this. She, she embodies exactly what Tomas is talking about when he says she's not precise, uh, but you should watch her because, and her, her sexual energy is completely different than Natalie Portman's is in this. Yeah. yeah. And, mm-hmm. and, totally works for this and i'm really happy for that because like you tom i I liked her in a couple of things like extract and um and the sarah marshall movie i thought she was great um and then book of eli she was just so horrible and to see her give such uh be so well cast in this and give a really free sexual performance in this movie that that works so well against the lead is really, really nice. I'm, I'm really happy for her. She does a fine job. Because we all felt like dicks after Book of Eli. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, uh-huh. yeah. You know, she... <laughs> and also, I, I have to tell you that um, I, I accidentally saw... I accidentally went to see Tangled in the afternoon before seeing this movie. Uh-huh. Oh. And oh. I was a little bit nervous about making this a double feature between Tangled and this, but they work as a double feature. Oh, so you have to get rub two out. <laughs> hey. Uh, is that the uh, ordeal you were talking about? No, no. The ordeal was something quite different. And what, was it worth sharing with hundreds uh, of listeners? I, I went to see this movie very late one night in Hollywood at this film called at this theater called the Arclight. Uh, it was Saturday night, twelve thirty in the morning. I went to see it. I got out, and the parking garage was closed because there had been gunshots in it apparently. And it took me about two hours to get out of the parking garage because wow. the police had to check every single car. And that was this was after going to see Tangled in the afternoon with my my uh, six year old son and nine of his friends. Um, <laughs> Uh, and Tangled is actually a wonderful film, and it's it's weird to watch that movie and then watch this movie and see that there's a there's a number of parallels. And for an adult viewer, please do not take your children to see Black Swan. Uh, there, it's an interesting, uh, weird, scary double feature. Can adult viewers go to see Tangled? Dingus? Um, not not during the day. They shouldn't. <laughs> At night, they should. If they, because they'll hear a lot of screaming. Babies. Ah, oh, I see. Right, right. <laughs> hey, Entangled, uh, does the carpet match the drapes? One, two, three, not only you and me, got one eighty to three, and when I'm caught in between, come on, two, three, feet apart, and I'm free, getting down with three, the feet, everybody loves you. Oh, yeah. Man, setting the table for that was tough. <laughs> it's a cartoon, Kelly. Make you wait for it. <laughs> no, it wasn't. That doesn't. It's not a cartoon if it's a uh, 3D. There's no such thing as a 3D cartoon. Don't make words up. Don't make up dimensions. God. <laughs> this week's three by three. Uh, this week's three by three are the three most awesome movie pets that you can think of. Mm. And uh, both of you guys tell me this isn't one that you'd considered doing before. Uh, so the chick's hair entangled does it count as a pet? <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> I had one that was just chimps that I won't do. That because... <laughs> <laughs> All my Kelly Wand, you get 
just qualifies. So, Kelly Wand, you go first because you're introducing next week's 3x3. Three three. What is your number three most awesome movie pet? Do chimps uh, qualify? They're not technically pets. They're more like uh, servants. But I had one that was just chimps. Uh, <laughs> I love you, Kelly Wand. See, I, I am the Carl Pilkington. Get it? <laughs> All right. Uh, this third one is the one. It's really first because I'm saying it first, but it's the third good. <laughs> I have a cold. I'm that's this cough medicine. I'm normally pretty uh, cogent. Uh, this one I regret because it's. I feel like it's a waste of a, an animal slot, and you'll see what I mean. I'm referring, of course, to uh, Arnie and T2. He's like the kids' pet Terminator. I just think that'd be a cool pet. That's yeah, your number three. Is Arnold Schwarzenegger in Terminator Two? This is his yeah. first number three. He still he has to yet to give us his. <laughs> okay, what's your real number three? Oh, that was it. All right. <laughs> well, did Jessica Simpson's fun bags and Dukes of Hazard count as one or two pets? <laughs> I think it's what no, is. No, that's not my real one. My real three is uh, Ed, the uh, creepy chimp from that Matt LeBlanc movie of the same name, Matt LeBlanc. Ed. <laughs> There's actually a movie yeah, called Ed. Ed, the creepy chimp. Yeah. He teaches him, yeah, he's a baseball star. He's like Gus the Mule. Remember that Disney movie? Mm, but no. Gus just thinks of soccer. Ah, oh, you guys are fucking young. <laughs> but there's like a... Sam the Butcher bringing Alice the meat. <sighs> it's uh, Joey the Friend, and he has a monkey. Because he's kind of chimp-like because he's dumb, because it's Joey. And he has an even dumber friend, but it's a chimp. It's like a robotronic chimp named Ed. And uh, there's a lot of fart humor. I'm just going to throw that out there, as it were. And uh, all right, so uh, Ed and Ed. Okay, good. I'm not going to see that, just so you know. He's also a friend, so his best friend and best best animal at a sport. All right, Dingus, what's your number three? Does, is it a chimp or a T-800 cyborg? There's no Ed in Friend. <laughs> Very good. There's only an end. <laughs> uh, it is neither a cyborg nor a chimp, oddly enough. Mm. Uh, it ain't a pet where I come from. All right. Uh, let me smack down you guys with a quote from this movie. How about that? All right. Let's mix it up. Let's mix it up a little bit. Bring it. All right. Here you go. See if you can figure this one out. If he comes calling tomorrow, I will call him Two Socks. Call him what? Two Socks. Two Socks. If he comes calling tomorrow, I will call him Two Socks. Wait, if he comes calling tomorrow? Mm-hmm. <sighs> Wish we could rewind RL. <laughs> Man, I have no idea, Dingus. I haven't seen it. Is it something Chinese? <laughs> Is it something Chinese? Oh. I forgot about the Warriors way. We're not going to see the Warriors way. All right, uh, it's uh, the the name of the pet is Two Socks. Ugh. It's a wolf named Two Socks. Dances with wolves. Hey, there you go. You guys are awesome. What? What? All right, uh, this is this is a bit of a cheat, but uh, after Kelly Wan went, I don't think anything I could choose would possibly be called a cheat. So yeah, this is uh, this is two socks, and um, this is a, a lovely category. I, I, I just I had such a great time with this. Uh, my first, uh. I knew I knew my number one immediately, and nothing nothing beat 
my number one, no matter what my bracket was during the week. And it was a tough, it was a tough tournament, but nobody could not unseat my number one. But uh, my number three was a little bit difficult. There were there were a couple of other cooler ones I wanted to choose, um, but unfortunately, and I feel sad, a little bit sad about this because Dances with Wolves has wound up in this spot a couple of times, but Two Socks winds up uh, here again because uh, one of the things I loved about this category was um, was trying to determine pets not used as props or animals not used as props, but but real relationships that that happen between the animal and the human and 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 two socks and uh and dunbar establish a really great back and forth there's a lovely relationship and yeah it's manipulative but almost all pet pet relationships are manipulative um and i really like the way this develops and you know this even gives the the main character his name in the movie but but it's also a really lovely, and Tom said this yesterday, or not yesterday, last week when he was establishing the category, it's, it's quite a lovely uh, animal performance. I think it's a couple different wolves who play the part, but it's a, it's a great performance, and it's, it's really well, emotionally manipulative, but, but, in, but in a really good way. So uh, Dances with Wolves, two songs. It's very good, Dingus. Man, I didn't I, so... Go ahead, Dingus. <laughs> You don't, you don't like his pick. I don't remember. I have no recollection of this animal from that movie at all. But come on, isn't there? There's an extended scene where they're playing with each other and whatnot, isn't there? Like I, I haven't seen this movie in forever, but I haven't either. I think it totally Kevin Costner out. sort of getting it on with a wolf. <laughs> I, I didn't well, mean he, that. he goes through a process of trying to feed it, yeah. and and that, that there's a back and forth there, and he's out there on this outpost alone. Uh, just him and his horse, basically, and this other creature shows up, and he develops, he, he forms a bond with this creature, and, and in his writing his journals and setting up this camp, all alone, away from any other contact, this is one other being that he can establish a bond with. And when he's writing in his journal, he, he says, if he comes calling tomorrow, and he, and he says that, that's, that's what he says, if he comes calling tomorrow, he sees it as, as somebody coming to visit him. Uh, then, then I will give him a name, and and this is part of the, establishing the relationship. So while it's not strictly a pet that he would have with him all the time in the way that you would have a pet with you, it it is a lovely bond that that establishes. Well, I've already. I'm saying lovely. Sorry, it's lovely in a way that uh, loveliness uh, is lovely. <laughs> is it delightful? It's, I've, I've already blown my category of my number three here. Right? My number two and number one are better, but uh, I have a lot of runners-up, but none I could really settle on. And my problem was I, I wanted to make sure to get more cats in there, but cats aren't really good for performances, so not quite as expressive as, as dogs. So I had to get my token cat. Uh, is My number three It's actually multiple cats. Uh, there's this just mess of a movie but I love it, called Eye of the Beholder, with uh, Ewan McGregor Ooh. as a detective dude, and he's he's in love with, or he's investigating Ashley Judd, and she's maybe a serial ah. killer, and the whole thing's a mess, but God, I love this movie. And and so, Ewan McGregor being like a secret agent or, what, or whatever, he's his handler, uh, you know, like his Q or whatever, who he touches base with, uh, is Katie Lang, 
And there are a few times where we see Katie Lang in like this, I seem to recall it's like a nice paneled office or something, and she's got surveillance equipment. She's on the, the wire to him. But she's got cats all around in there. She's just like a CIA handler or whatever with a bunch of cats, which I loved that about her. Um, in the movie, it's such a mess, but it's got cool little touches like that. So my number three are all of Katie Lang's cats in Eye of the Beholder. Hmm. Kelly, Wand, have you seen that movie? It's, it strikes me as a movie you would appreciate. No, I don't see movies with prepositions in. <laughs> but I miss Ashley Judd. And um, cats always get comically killed in movies. That's a, That always annoys me. And that's why you, you can't find any good cats for your list. The only thing I can think of is uh, is Drag Me to Hell. When else are cats comically killed? That, I made a list. I'll read it next okay. week. If I find it. <laughs> It's like 50 movies I thought of. I had a lot of time on my hands that year. You know, um, I had a couple I had a couple of cats I wanted to because I, I had a hard time coming up with something that wasn't canine. Um, and and I really love cats, but you're right, Tom. They they for me they just come across as as props uh, or 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 part of the scene or something that's being used in the scene rather than than having a relationship. But I I just I have such a soft. They're always the villains too. They're the villains. Lady in the Tramp. They're the villains in Cats versus Dogs. By the way, I I have to. I have to specify. I don't think animation was allowed for this list. I didn't like. You know, I hope nobody picked like Doug from Up or that cool dog in Triplets of Belleville. You guys aren't picking animated animals, are you? Hold on, let me sketch off Up. I don't know if you guys know this. Those aren't real animals. You whoa, know. whoa. All right, got to change my number two. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so what is your number two, Kelly Wand? Well, I guess I can't do the um, cat, wait, not cat, pig from Charlotte's Web, Wilbur, because he's a cartoon. First of all, he's never a pet. It's a farm animal. All right, babe, then. That's a farm animal, too. <laughs> What's the difference? That'll do, Kelly. <laughs> so wait, pets are, you just don't raise them for food. That's your definition. Well, as since Babe and Wilbur were raised to be butchered. Uh, I'm going to I'm gonna allow Babe if you want to do it. Is that your choice? But not Wilbur? What dicks <laughs> you are. I'll, I'll allow either one. That could be uh, anything. I'll go with you. It'll be, it'll be two against one. Which one are you choosing? Uh, Wilbur, because you guys are going to do Babe. All right, Wilbur in Charlotte's Web. All right. Yeah, because uh, he's some pig. The one with Paul Lynn is Templeton, because that was my first movie, so it's sentimental value. All right, uh, come on, we can't have three. I can't have three dogs on my list. I had to have Wilbur. He's some pig. He you already have a chimp. You don't. Do you even have a dog on your list? Did you have a terminate. Did you have a no dogs allowed policy on your list? Uh, so no CG animals are allowed, I guess, if no animated animals are allowed. I can't have three dogs on my list. I already chose a chimp. <laughs> I think it's you gotta, your... They have to be three different species. What is your number two most uh, awesome pet in a movie, Dingus? Um, I feel a little bad about this because I feel like this might be something you had in mind when choosing this category. Oh, God. Well, you haven't seen my number one, so... Oh. Okay. Have I seen your number two? Yeah. That's 
I don't think you so picked it, though. I, don't, I think when I do my number two, you're going to go, oh, yeah, that's good. I'd forgotten about that one. Does it star Michelle Williams? Oh, when did you ever see that? By the way, I need to change my number one now. Thanks. <laughs> Dang. Uh, no, I didn't think of that, but I'm glad you finally... I think this means you finally saw it, yeah? Yeah, yeah, I did see it, and I quite loved it. So Harvey's not a pet, because he's uh, fake, right? He's a hallucination, because uh, Jim Stewart's on arsenic. I think it's which one was the dog, Wendy or Lucy? Lucy's Lucy. the dog, yeah. Lucy's the dog, yeah. So you finally saw Wendy and Lucy. Yeah. And um, this is a great movie about a pet for somebody who has a kid. Because it's a real understanding for people who love pets the way people love kids. And it's an understanding of how it feels to a parent if they get separated from their child. And also, it's just a lovely dog. She's just such a beautiful little dog. And it's a beautiful relationship. So my number two is Wendy and Lucy, and the dog would be Lucy. I wonder if you've seen Wendy and Lucy. No, I don't see movies with more than one name in the title. Uh, there's, there's a French movie, and unfortunately, I'm not sure the cat is ever actually even in it, called When the Cat's Away. I think that's the name of it. Uh, and it's about a woman uh, who one day, her, her cat has gone missing. And it's about her over the next several days putting up posters and, and looking for mm. the cat. And uh, and it's more, it's very French cinema kind of thing. And it's more about this woman's state of mind. And I, I haven't seen it in a while, but I think the cat might even be ultimately a metaphor for, I, I, I don't know what. Uh, uh, but Wendy and Lucy... LA. Wendy and Lucy is like a more accessible sort of version of that kind of thing. Um, yeah, good. Uh, are they? Are they what? Is it a cat? Are they cats or dogs? Well, in Wendy and Lucy, it's a dog, but while the cat's away, it's a cat, of course. Um, and it, it's what? and both movies are about you know what the the impact of separation from a pet. Hmm. Um, Remember that gorilla? He had the pet kitten, and then the kitten got sick and died, and then he was really, really depressed. And they tried to give him another kitten, but the gorilla went, no, it's not the same. Is that in, is that in the movie? That it? No, but my favorite cat movie, my favorite pet cat movie is Mike yeah. Myers and Cat in the Hat. Okay. <laughs> but before you talk about your favorite cat movie, let me just say this about Wendy and Lucy. When there, There's this wonderful... Um, sense of, of helplessness that happens when you're protective uh, yeah. of a pet or a child. And, and when, when Wendy is being driven away from, her, from Lucy and is begging not to be driven away from Lucy, and you see Lucy in the background, uh, it, your heart can't help but just sort of <laughs> tear open. And Wendy and Lucy is... a uh, an incredible film for understanding that. And um, who's the, the is it Kelly Reinhardt? Kelly, I think it's Reichardt. Reichardt, thank you, Kelly Reichardt. Uh, really gets how to create relationships with with very little fanfare and an understanding of of how relationships are developed and and the relationship between these these two. Uh, people, these two creatures, Wendy and Lucy, is so beautifully developed, and, and Michelle Williams is just incredible in this. And please, please do see the movie; it's a great movie. You remind me, Dingus, of uh, 
I can't believe I just now thought of this. Uh, there's a Cormac McCarthy novel called The Orchard Keeper, and one of the characters yeah. in it is this old man with a basset hound, and at one point he gets arrested, and I just remember there's this heartbreaking bit at the end of one of the chapters where they've arrested him, and he's like, well, what about my dog? And they're like, you know, your dog will take care of, its, of itself. Well, you know, screw your dog. And they put the guy in the car and drive away, and the dog is just, like, sitting there sort of trotting down the road trying to follow the car. It's just, that's just so heartbreaking, you know? Mm. Uh, the, the Man, guy, I forgot about that. That's a great... Oh. Oh. There's also that comic book about the wolf, like the kid and the wolf, the crossing, right? I don't know that one. Did you read that one? Wait, oh, is that trilogy? the is that the is is the crossing? No, I'm thinking of children, children of God or child of God. It's I haven't read Crossing. I haven't either. <laughs> Just trying to impress you. <laughs> well, sounds good though, huh? Yeah. All right, so uh, Wendy and Lucy. God, I love that movie. Uh, good on you for finally seeing it. Uh, Kelly, Wait, so watch the winner was. All right, watch Wendy and Lucy. His pick. His pick was Wendy or Lucy, though. Wendy is Michelle Williams. Lucy is this awesome. What kind of dog is Lucy? Dingus? I don't. I don't. She just like she's a mutt thing. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. Sounds animated to me. <laughs> Michelle Williams. <laughs> there's this. There's this great little mouse who's always getting into hoo It's awesome. Well, the mouse is the sidekick that sings. It's the wacky that's one. That's right. Rosie O'Donnell's the voice of the mouse. Uh, oh. That's right. And then the the duck like lands. Now I'm in. Back. That's great. Uh, okay, Why did you wait? Yeah. What's that? Bring Rosie O'Donnell on me. Uh, you trying to talk me into seeing it, and you wait. <laughs> Sandbag me with Rosie O'Donnell. Uh, my number two is a dog named Buckley uh, from Royal Tenenbaums. <laughs> so Royal Tenenbaums is so much about the different members of a family, and I think they're even Dalmatian. Yeah, that's the Dalmatian mice one, isn't it? Uh, doesn't doesn't someone breed Dalmatian mice in Royal Tenenbaums? Yeah. Okay. Uh, but but Buckley is Ben Stiller's family's dog, and even Buckley gets backstory. <laughs> you know, the Royal Tenenbaums <laughs> is so generous with the breadth of its characters and, and, and imbuing something special into each of them. So Buckley was this poor little hound who's the sole survivor of the plane crash that killed Ben Stiller's wife and, and made him a widower and made him overprotective of his two children. Uh, and there's just a few great shots of just this adorable little, I, I think he's like a basset hound. I don't really know dogs. Uh, and Buckley figures prominently into a few scenes. Uh, so that's my number two, is, uh, is Buckley as one of the family members uh, in Royal Tenenbaums. I totally don't remember that dog. All right. You should see that movie. Oh, he's, he's so great because because uh, he's key. I think he's key to helping Gene Hackman establish a relationship with his grandson. <laughs> What's up with that old hound dog? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so there's my number two. So now our number ones, our most awesomest pets in moviedom. Kelly Wand, what is your number one pick? And Kelly Wand, you're the one uh, that I'm worried about. Who's, who's going to steal mine? I think mine is a, is such a it's such a no brainer, but I think you're going to steal it, Kelly Wand. Yours is Benji the Hunted. Ah. Oh, <laughs> Does Benji belong to anyone, by the way? Isn't he like a freelance dog? Does he have owners? I think Benji's just like a freelancer. He's a free agent. After the Chevy Chase debacle, I think he went for... He doesn't own... He's like... He's got his own island or something. (laughs) 
episode. <laughs> Nicholas Cage owes him a shitload of money. But anyway, getting back to our list. Because um, of Pinochle. Uh My number one uh, is uh, Toto. I'm going to tell you why. Fuck you, wicked fans. That witch was always trying to kill Toto. And everything that happens, the Wizard of Oz, is due to Toto. You go back and watch it. And Pink Floyd. So he's like the, I would argue Toto is the most story-based pet in film history. Boom! <laughs> I need to see this movie at some point. So my frame I didn't of... steal yours? No, you didn't. Well, my, I haven't seen Wizard of Oz. Uh, my frame of reference for Toto, I, I had a girlfriend who had a little dog that looked like Toto, and she was always doing wicked witch lines about, I'm going to get you, and doesn't the witch after, like, I'm going to get you and that little dog. Like, doesn't the witch include the little dog when she says, when she cackles and says sinister things? Yeah, and he, it's, she's looking for Toto, and that's how she gets to Oz. Toto keeps her in Oz because he, he jumps at the cat. And so the wizard takes off without her. Toto helps the witch get killed. Now, from the L. Frank Baum novel, what did Toto represent? Didn't Toto represent the gold standard? Uh, no. That was the Gilded Age. Well, in the books... the rains down in Africa, didn't it? In the books, in like the sixth book, they go, because Dorothy took like a chicken to Oz, and it starts talking, and they go, wait, if it can talk, how come Toto can't? And then you find out Toto could talk all along. That's like R2-D2 the, having chess trip. That's what I was thinking. Lie. And he just goes, oh, I have nothing to say. And he just skitters off. Is that really uh, true, Kelly Wand? Do you later yeah. find out Toto can actually talk? Yes, I oh. swear to God. I'm I not... read all those books. <laughs> I was really big when I was 10. Uh, <laughs> so, Dingus, do you like that choice of Toto and Wizard of Oz? I, I should. Does that work for you? I like it as um, a writer. It's my writerly choice. Okay. Not so much my... I'll tell you what... I'll, okay, uh, can I predict what yours is? No, <laughs> of course not. <laughs> well, I'm probably wrong, because I was wrong on Toto. Uh, but, Dingus, you think Toto is a good... Uh, you're with Kelly Wan. Toto's a good movie pet? No. Uh, <laughs> that was a good impression of me. No. That's how you... <clears throat> He's not lovely enough. I, I've, uh, I... That's great. Oh, actually, maybe that is your number one. Dingus, did Kelly Wan steal your number one? No. Yeah, you don't strike me as a Judy Garland fan, unlike Kelly Wand. His is R2-D2, and that's why he's being... That's another thing, is robots cannot be pets. I probably should have pointed this out. They're slaves. <laughs> I think it's what is your number one, if it's not Toto. Uh, my number one has the following quote in the movie. Okay. Samantha, I just got to get you home. <sighs> I never get your quotes. They're so arcane to me. I think I might. Tom always gets me. Oh, it's that one with Rosie O'Donnell. Uh, <laughs> Wait, I think I might. Know. Samantha. Bewitched? Hmm. No. Samantha Fox. Do I know this one, Dingus? You both have seen it. Uh, I don't think you like it. Not, uh, neither of you like the movie as much as I do, but this is one of my favorite pet performances, other than the one Tom took off the table. And and I love the relationship. Is it Marley and me? <laughs> no, that would be Marley. I just got to get you home. The name uh, of the dog is Samantha, and and she's called Sam for most of the movie. Sam, we got to go, is what the character says first. To her. Wait, what is... Uh, well, just so we... Just for folks listening, we took off the table uh, this awesome German shepherd named Abby, who was in Paranormal Activity 2. 
Right. So she was the only thing taken off the table. So uh, that sounds familiar. A movie with a dog named Samantha who must be gotten home. I don't know, Dingus. You got me. Good one. Oh, oh, go, go, oh, I know, I know. Is it... Oh, I know, I know. Does it start with a G? Does it start with an I? <laughs> it starts. It does start with an I. Yeah. I, I forgot, uh, and this is almost one of my picks, except what is my pick. Uh, so I know. Kelly Wand, I can't believe you didn't get this one. Here, I thought I'll he give, was doing the dog from Greenberg. I'll give... Oh, gosh, that's a, oh, that's a good one, Kelly Wand. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, I was, I was close that on that name? one. That's a good one. Yeah. Walter? No, what's that dog's name? Penis. Oh. <laughs> anyway, so I'll do a line from from Dingus's pick for you, Kelly Wan. Are you ready? Yeah. Oh hell no. <laughs> oh, I'm sure that was a great that's dog. Point. It was an awesome dog. All right, Dingus. that's movie oh. critic Ben Lyons' best movie ever made. Just saying. I like your pick, Dingus. This was on my short list. So yeah, go ahead and explain it. All right, this is I Am Legend. And what made, made number one of, of A-list somewhere besides Ben Lyons. And what made this a good movie pet? I, I am so crazy about the relationship in this. Uh, in this. Uh, there was never any doubt for me that, that, that it would be I Am Legend. Uh, I, I love the way this dog and this, and this character... Are are friends and their companions and um, the whole sort of modern modern day thriller I am uh, old yeller component that that happens is only a, a small part of it. It's just the the relationship that develops and this dog's performance is great they, from the from the way the dog has to protect him to the way the dog is just his companion and the the way they respond to each other. And just from the simple things of that, the picture of them in that bathtub together, it's just that picture, that, that, that overhead shot of them lying in that tub and him telling the dog, no, you know, you're not going down to the lab, just stay here, and the way the dog waits. And then when the dog runs into that, uh, that bank vault warehouse thing and, and he says, Sam, I got to go, but he goes in anyway. Uh, I just I can't get over the relationship, and I, I I've watched this film several times, and I watched it again this week uh, because people tell me over and over again how awful it is, but I can't get over how wonderful this relationship is. And and uh, to be honest, it's one of my favorite films for 45 minutes, and then it then it's okay. Um, once the dog is is not in the film anymore, uh, I'm pretty much done with the film, and. That makes it a pretty awesome movie pet for me. Yeah, good, good. So my number one, I think, is the model. Well, not the model, but I, I think it's kind of the... And actually, my number one isn't even the original, so if you can look back a little further. So the dog in I Am Legend reminds me a lot of the dog in Road Warrior. They they're both they're both have this idea that in, your, in a post-apocalypse, you, you bring a dog along. Because, uh, you know, what, what better... Thing to have post-apocalypses are a lot of times these sort of fantasies, and you bring a, you have a dog, you have a gun, you have an awesome car, you know, and you do what you want, <laughs> uh, and that's that's just part of. And, and I am Legend taps into that, and certainly Road Warrior does as well. Uh, but I think if you go back, doesn't a boy and his dog? Has, has mm. you seen that in a, in a while? Yeah. That's not even really a pet though, because it kind of talks and it's weird. Uh, like it's a telepathic dog, um, 
So I'm not sure that dog really counts, but, but my most awesome movie pet is the, the dog, and I don't think it even has a name, because this is a much more brutal post-apocalypse than I Am Legend. The post-apocalypse in Road Warrior, the dog doesn't get a name, but the dog has this great part in the hierarchy, in the movie. Uh, early on, when uh, Max captures the uh, gyro captain, uh, you know, the dog is instrumental in keeping the prisoner in line. Uh, there's a great shot, too, where, where he's got Gyro Captain tied up with a, a shotgun pointed at him, and the dog is holding in his jaw uh, the, a, a cord going to the trigger. <laughs> so the dog helps keep him prisoner. And, and that kind of sounds like a cartoon moment when you mention it, but when you describe it, but that's not how the movie plays it. Uh, there's a great moment, too, where the three of them uh, are camped out somewhere, and this is the brutal post-apocalypse, so you don't, you know, you're not going to be eating well. And Max pulls out a, a jar of uh, of dog food, and the way it works is he gets the dog food, then he throws the can to the dog, and the dog <laughs> licks it clean, and whatever's left is what the gyro captain guy is, is allowed to eat. And I don't, Dingus still has That's not good. seen seen Road Warrior, but what? Uh, I know, but. Oh, similar to Samantha. And he has a penis. <laughs> similar no, to that's to not Samantha. clear actually. I mean, the the dog's role, as far as how he motivates the character, you know, Samantha causes Will Smith to do certain things, and it's he's used to emotionally manipulate the audience. Uh, the dog's role in Road Warriors every bit as significant, I feel. Uh, so I just love that Road Warrior dog, and I don't. Is he set up in Mad Max? Is he? That's another thing I wondered about. Is he set up in Mad Max, or did he just appear? Yeah, no, is he their get... family dog or something? Mm-hmm. He's the family dog. So the motorcyclist still his wife and child, but not his dog. Right, the dog lives in Road. That's why I was so bummed when he when the dog dies in Road Warrior. Sorry, uh, Dingus. Didn't think he needed to know. Kind of hoping to avoid that, but oh well. <laughs> nice work, Kelly. But well. in I Am Legend, um, I felt bad that he. I don't know that he risked the dog too much. Like, he should have left her at home. Well, the dog she, is his companion. He needed her so much. Mm, she, yeah, so then don't risk her out there in the wild. Keep her at home or she'll be safe. Well, he he couldn't do that any more than he could stay home all the time. I mean, it, she was not only his companion, she was his friend. And he makes that clear afterward when he goes back to the video store and he says, I promised my friend that I would say hello to you today. Uh, it, it, there, There's... there's a depth to that relationship that is a friendship and it's paternal as well when he's getting the dog to eat. You gotta eat your vegetables. Um, there, there are so many levels that dog represents so much for him that he, he couldn't leave her home any more than he could stay home. Two words, leash. <laughs> it is funny how, uh, how I Am Legend is a much kinder, gentler, modern day man in touch with his feelings post-apocalypse. Uh, Road Warrior. Warrior was so well. Road Warrior was more like a western. I mean, Road Warrior was was very much this this cruel, heartless frontier. You know, the way the dog gets dispatched in Road Warrior is compare that to the way you lose the dog in uh, I Am Legend. I Am Legend is off screen even. Well, Alaska, really. well, it's it's PG thirteen. It's PG thirteen, so it has it it deals with that death in a different way. But it's also a different way that we look at our military now. There, we we have sensitivity training. We he's on the cover of Time magazine. There there are other things we expect of our military or military men than we would have expected in the Road Warrior days. Yeah, 
Yeah. And plus, Road Warrior is Australian. They're a bunch of like they, they got yeah. it's like a whole other country down there. Yeah. And it's the and it's the early eighties. Don't don't get me started on that, Tom. Uh, do you think do you think Tom Hardy will have uh, a dog? What so the new Road Warrior, this Mad Max Fury Road thing, is it a so reboot or is it a sequel? Just like <laughs> you sound awfully down on this, Kelly Wand. Kelly Wand, it's Tom Hardy. Doesn't that do it's, anything for you? It's I don't like Fury reboots. Road. Uh, Mad Max Four Fury Road, I believe. Dude, Mel's not too old to be in Mel- Mad Max Four. I'd love to see him in Mad Max Four, but Fuck yeah. He'd What's the say, problem? He'd say he'd make anti-Semitic remarks and uh, so that's what Mad Max. He's mad. He's Mad Max. <laughs> he's crazy. We knew Mel Gibson was crazy before. I don't know why suddenly now it matters. We knew he was nuts a long time ago. He plays a nuts guy in Lethal Weapon, and it's endearing and charming. And he's trying to off himself. Uh, Kelly Wand, I think the answer is this is this is going to be a Mad Max for a younger generation. They don't want some some guy who could be their grandfather being the main character. That's going to be my guess. Uh, and plus, Tom pretty... Hardy. So if Tom Hardy is like a, a a villain in the new Batman movie, like I think they're they're banking on him being a sort of an A list. Being in every movie, just like Sam Worthington was in every. He's the next movie. Sam Worthington. Yeah. Awesome. Well, that worked out for everyone. <laughs> All right, let's do uh, runners up. What what did we miss? So so I just want to bring up. I, I wanted to bring up Jones from Alien and Aliens. Um, but he's kind of, he's, he's just an orange cat. He doesn't have a lot of personality. He gets people killed and he's kind of written out of the series ignominiously. Well, he gets away. Like he goes home and. Yeah, but what happens to him after Ripley, uh, Ripley goes back into space and gets fucked. So then what happens to Jones? Does he get euthanized? We don't know. <laughs> well, that's, that's what I that's what I meant earlier when I talked about pets uses props. Because yeah. Jonesy, which he, in Aliens, which he says, you're staying here. And I think that Jonesy is largely a prop. Here's one. She exception. gets a pet girl up in space and doesn't need Jones. Here's one exception to that. This is a this is a shot, and this is so. This says a lot about both the cat and the alien. There's this shot that I've always that's always striking to me, where Ripley has set the set the detonating the detonating thing on the Nostromo. It's going to blow up. She's running back in to get the cat. She gets Jones, she puts him in a cat carrier with a, a glass top, and then the alien appears and somehow separates her from the cat carrier. And there's this this shot of the alien rising up over the cat carrier, mm-hmm. and you can see the cat's head through the glass up through its ears, and the cat's just calmly sitting there looking at the alien. The mm-hmm. alien doesn't seem to care that much about the cat. And you get the sense that, yeah, these are both animals. You know, they're both just mm. these creatures looking at each yeah. other. They don't care about each other. It's these humans that are, that are like, weird and out of rat whack. Uh, but I just well, there's a theory that the alien infects the cat there and that she takes an infected cat back. And it's got, like, a face hugger inside it. First of all, it's not the alien's not in a face hugger form. Face huggers don't come out of those types of aliens. What are you talking about, Kelly Wand? That's yeah, that's a stupid theory. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> oh, Bad theory. Uh, Didn't you listen to our egg? Didn't you listen to our egg podcast? <laughs> no, I don't. But I just that. love how it, it also plays into how you can't really get a cat to perform. You know, cats will just like sit there and look at something. <laughs> <laughs> but he was. But it's. I like. Yeah. But what you just said is true. It's like that's better performance. Yeah, that's coach. that's an ideal cat performance. Now, now in Aliens, Jones freaks out. At Ripley, when she's infected, but that's it's a dream. Only, exactly, exactly. It's not the real Jones. What it, about Jones it, watching Harry Dean Stanton get killed thoughtfully 
after Harry Dean Stan dies looking for Jones. There is a shot. That's right. There's a shot of the cat, isn't it's it? The cat, yeah. And he the couldn't care less. Really interesting. Yeah, hey, the cat. Jones looks like Bush reading my pet goat, kind of. He's got like this <laughs> glazed look on his face. But he's looking up, and that's 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 also striking. It almost it makes like the later thing in the cat carrier look deliberate. Like, oh yeah, it's you again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Exactly. I'm not going to kill you because you fed me that Harry Dean Stanton earlier. Thanks. Another cat one I remembered is uh, Ryan Gosling in Half Nelson uh, has a cat. He plays a a school teacher and he's uh, got a little heroin thing going. uh, And it's not a junkie movie so much. uh, But but he has this cat. And at one point in the movie, the cat dies and it's really sad. But there's another awesome scene in the movie where he's going to confront a drug dealer. And uh, he finally sort of gets through to the guy, and they're going to go inside and talk. And they're in this, this neighborhood. It's, it's, it's not a slum, but it's obviously like a lower-income neighborhood. And as they're walking to go into, I think the drug dealer is played by Anthony Mackie, if I'm not mistaken, who's one of the guys in Hurt Locker. And as they're going into the drug dealer's house, Ryan Gosling, and this looks absolutely improvised, Ryan Gosling sees a cat. And he, he sort of makes a detour, and he picks up the cat, and he holds it as they're going into the house. And Anthony Mackie turns around and says, put that cat down, man. Don't bring that shit in my house. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just a shot of them when they're going in the house that looks like Ryan Gosling's like, hey, I'm going to pick up a cat. <laughs> uh, but I love Wait, you're assuming that's improvised, right? I don't know. I, don't, I, I, I mean, with the way the movie's shot, I wouldn't be surprised if it were. Uh but I, I don't, it, it feel it just feels so natural. Like, hey, this guy's in the cats. He sees one. He picks it up. I mean, Kelly Wand, if you get invited into somebody's house and you see a cat on the street, I know you like cats, but would you pick yeah. up a cat and try to carry it in just to hang out with it? Yeah. You, would. you know what? I, as a cat lover, maybe I would, too. Uh, but it's just yeah. a great little moment in Half Nelson. But then my friend would go, put that thing down. Exactly. Yeah, don't bring that in my house. <laughs> right. That's uh, what my friend's talking um, there's, uh, there's a dingo in the movie Road Games. Uh, I don't know if you guys have seen Road Games. It's Stacy Keach. It's a horror movie. Another Everett LaRoche script. I've talked about him before. Oh, yeah, Road Games. Uh, and Stacy Keach, it's in Australia, plays a trucker in Australia who has a dingo. And several times during the movie, he explains it's a dingo. It can't bark. Uh, and then it's a very the happy ending of the movie. The, I think the dingo barks, and it's like, oh, it's not a dingo. Wah, wah, wah. Mm. What about Kangaroo Jack? Was he a pet? Is that with uh, Jerry O'Connell? Yeah, your favorite uh, action star. <laughs> also, uh, Dobby. Is he a pet? In Harry Potter? Ah, mm. uh, you knew. Isn't that a golem? He's a golem, I think. <laughs> hey, this one's for dingus. Uh, my dog Skip. Did you ever see that one? Dingus no. loves that movie. No, you don't like that one. I like that one. What's the name of the movie, though? My dog Skip. <laughs> yes, but what's the name of the movie? Oh, it, the movie is my. Wait. Okay, oh, so this missing... this is one of those things that I'm convinced was photoshopped, but it's one of those things where uh, it's it's a marquee at a movie theater. <laughs> it's, it lists, you know, of course, movies that are playing at the theater. The first movie that's playing is Aaron Brockovich. The second movie, <laughs> the second movie that's playing is Screwed. The third movie 
is my dog Skip. <laughs> Wait, what's the movie this is in? <laughs> it's like a photoshopped uh, picture that I've seen on the on the internet. <laughs> Wait, for what? <laughs> so easily amused. I don't even think it's a real thing. It's just a movie marquee. <laughs> Aaron Brockovich screwed my dog Skip. <laughs> the only one of those I haven't seen is Aaron Brockovich. <laughs> Okay. What's that say about me? Uh, there's a black and white movie called uh, This Gun for Hire, and uh, Alan Ladd is in it. Uh, it's like a ruthless assassin or a killer, whatever he is. Uh, but he loves cats. And there's a scene where the cleaning lady, you know, he's in his hotel room. And there's a cat that's been coming around and gives it milk. And the cleaning lady, cleaning lady comes into the hotel room, <laughs> and she runs the cat off. And she's, like, mean to the cat, and he slaps her. <laughs> I just thought that was such a like you couldn't do that these days. Hmm. You can't you can't slap a woman into a cat. Yeah. Yeah. You can kill the cat now, but you can't slap the woman. That's the progress we've made, huh, Tom? All right, what other runners up? Pinkus, what do you got? You must have a bunch of things on your list. Well, the other cat as prop, my, the most famous cat as prop movie other than Alien for me would have been Godfather. <laughs> Is that a cat and the Godfather? Yeah, there's the there's the iconic opening scene where he's got a cat. Oh yeah, 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 that's right. But it's not really much of a horse. cat. It's really a horse. But it's kind of like a it's kind of like a Blofeld kind of thing, isn't it? Where it's like the it's just like a cat hanging out in his lap, and yeah. Well, but but the way the actor uses it, it's, it again, it's a it's a prop. It's it's no 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 better than Austin Powers' cat, you know. Okay. Really, seriously, um, the the uh, other pet in that. I was so happy that you brought up. I'm so happy that you brought up um, Royal Tenenbaums because I thought of Buckley, but then I thought of a different pet from Royal Tenenbaums. The Dalmatian mice. No the hawk. The hawk is Mordecai. Mordecai is clearly a pet, and he's fairly important to the movie, but he he doesn't really figure in as as a relationship more than a symbol. Yeah. Uh, and I really like Mordecai and the way. The way Mordecai figures into um, to how to how Luke feels, uh, I love Mordecai in that, and I love that movie so much. So I considered Mordecai for a while uh, because I really wanted to come up with something that wasn't canine, but I had a hard time when I was because I, I wanted these to be relationships, and I I, I toyed with the uh, that bird in uh, in Deep Blue Sea, but I didn't get to see that, so I didn't really see if that. Bird does a good performance. Um, but that, that's about it. Godfather. There's a terrible, terrible movie with uh, Philip Baker Hall. Uh, Polly. No, it's called... Oh, rats. I can't even think of what it's called. But he's an old guy whose wife has just died, and he's lonely. And it's just awful. It's supposed to be like a little indie, quirky movie. But uh, he has a relationship with a duck. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's uh, disgusting. But, no, not like that, Kelly Wan. Uh, oh. Like a duck adopts him or follows him home. Oh, I didn't be called something like duck, um, but it's Philip Baker Hall and a duck. Uh, but it's wow. bad, so it's not. All right, what what other runners up? I don't have any other runners up, but I did get to hang out with a wallaby today. Ugh. Leave your shoes out of this. <laughs> Uh, I was going to pick Digby, the largest dog in the world, but I don't think he did anything. He just kind of hung out like Clifford, but not Martin Short's Clifford. There were two dogs in the, uh, I think there were two dogs in the Hills Have Eyes remake. Yeah, Beauty and Beast. 
Beast is the surviving dog. Wow, very That's good. Telling now, were, yeah. those, were those in the original? Yeah, and Beast lives in the original and is in the sequel to the original. I don't know if he's in the sequel to the remake. Ugh. Very good. I hate even saying these words. Yeah, yeah. I know stuff. Good. I follow dogs in film history, <laughs> generally. All right. Did you guys how about, see... Uh, how about Day of the Dolphin? Do those count as pets? Mm, no, they're too smart. All right. Gorillas in the Mist? Nah, because she doesn't own them or anything. Yeah. What about Amy, the animatronic uh, chimp from Congo? Willie? Is Willie a pet? Oh, sad tragedy in RL. All right, Kelly, what are we doing next week? What is the, you, you, you promised us a good 3x3 three three for next week. What is it? You're sick of talking about animals? No, no, no. I, I, <laughs> let's see, what else do I have on my list here? That's not like you, Tom. Uh, Abby and Paranormal Activity. Okay. What's the yeah, dog's name in Greenberg? Come on, what's I know one of you guys is going to be able to think of this. What was the name of the dog in Greenberg? Uh, that would be from nope, Greenberg. No, I'm not. I'm just. I'm totally just uh, no, no. I. Uh, think oh yeah, Mauler. Mauler. Good lord, how could I forget that? That's such an awesome name for a dog. Yeah, we suck for not. Oh. Aronofsky would have known. Yep, he's into that faggy shit. Speaking of which, okay, uh, <clears throat> topic for next week. I had a really good one that's even better than this, but <laughs> this one kind of tied in with Black Swan, so I'm going with this, although not really. Three best dream sequences. Ah, that's a good one, Kelly Wand. Yeah. Mm. Uh, I got such an awesome one in the chamber. Three best uh. dream sequences. Okay, good. Do you need to... Uh... No. Anything off the table or specify? No. All right. Our hallucinations dreams. Yeah. Good. All right. Also, uh, splice moments, post-splice moments. <laughs> dream. Kelly, I think, I think you need to look up the word splice, because I don't think it means what you think it means. I know what you're saying. <laughs> I keep thinking you're talking about the movie. I do, too. Yeah, that's... <laughs> you're talking about a... Well, okay. in Vanilla Sky, there's a... It's referred to as a waking or a lucid dream. So it's but like whenever you say splice moment, I think you're talking about the movie Splice. And also, Kelly, one splice means for two things to come together, rather than for something to split. Yeah, but they're splicing out his memories, Philip K. Dick style. They're splicing in the new created celluloid. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't care anymore. No one's listening. I have a cold. I don't care. It's not interesting. Digby, Benji, it's all one. All right, so uh, three best dream sequences. I, I like that very much, Kelly Wand. I look forward to, to where that's going. <laughs> yeah, uh, it'll be like what I just said, but longer. <laughs> Let's see uh, the tourist next week. Yay! Yay! Wait, what? Wait, why are we seeing it? Well, uh, we don't. We don't. Uh, Dingus and I don't really know. Uh, we, it's just the movie that we've picked. It's from the director of The Lives of Others. Uh, I guess everyone knows that Angelina Jolie and Johnny Depp are in it. Not necessarily in that order. Um, that movie, Nick of Time. Uh, Christopher Walken is the villain, right? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Johnny Depp's oh, like the... Right. Yeah. Okay. All right. We're not going to see that, though. We are. Well, you could see that for homework if you wanted. We could talk about uh, you know, Johnny Depp movies. Wearing glasses. That's how you know he's not... John, he's like just a schleppy, uh, schlumpy guy. 
like him. Johnny Depp wearing glasses. Right. In Las Vegas, he wears glasses, so that's how you know he's Hunter S. Thompson, not Johnny Depp. Right. Right. Uh, Isn't there a chimp in like, that movie? Oh, it's an. Uh, how much for the eight? Yeah, Benicio del Toro. You racist. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get down to Brad's text. How much for Benicio? <laughs> He's still in his mo for the Three Stooges movie, but Sean Penn as Larry is out. I, I read somewhere. It's kind of bummed. That seems the most important. Hmm. I don't know. Yeah, great. Is that going to happen, Kelly Wand? I don't see that happening. Uh, yeah, it is actually. It's 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 been it's back to being fast tracks. There's going to be three Three Stooges movies. <laughs> what? I'll explain it later. Okay. It's an anthology. That's what I'm trying to say. Oh, like Lord of the Rings. Ah, oh, Jesus. Or <laughs> <laughs> <Or> Armageddon. <laughs> All right, ah. join us next week where Kelly Wan will explain to us the uh, upcoming Three Stooges movies. We will talk about The Tourist, and then we will have our three-by-three three of the three best dream sequences. I am Tom Chick. I have been joined by Christian Ma- M- Mazursky. Is that right? Christian Mazursky. Yep, Christian Mazursky. You're getting there. And Kelly Wand. Uh, the duty directed Weekend at Bernie's directed First Blood. Also, Jessica Lang is King Kong's pet. <laughs>